I think it would be acceptance just for everyone, and not only in mental health, just to accept that you are you with your beautiful middle and your beautiful mind, your difficulties. We're all here for a reason and just to accept it doesn't matter what house you live in or what school you go to or what car you drive, just to accept people for who they are. Hello, and thank you for joining me here on Hope to Recharge podcast, the podcast that's designed to break the stigma around mental health and to create some hope and inspiration and give some practical tips to those that are struggling with mental health, whether it's from personal stories to break the stigma or some advice from professionals in the mental health community. Whether you are struggling with mental health on your own or you know a loved one that is struggling, we are here to support you and to create a community so you you know you are not alone. The road to recovery can be difficult and challenging. At Hope to Recharge, we believe that in mental health, together is always better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for joining me here today. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Are you looking for online therapy? Are you stuck at home like everyone else? High stress, high anxiety, worried about the future, trying to navigate everything, have a lot of worries, had a lot of emotional roller coaster rides up and down, just like me. BetterHelp.com is one phone call away, one Zoom call away, one text away. It's an online platform for therapy. It's so perfect for now, for coronavirus, for what people people are going through now. We can reach out and get the perfect therapist that meets our needs. Don't wait. Check them out. See if you can find somebody. Don't struggle. They're so affordable. They are so affordable. You're sitting at home. Every therapist is working online now. Reach out and get help you need. If you are struggling, don't struggle in silence. I am so grateful that they are giving us 10% off the first month so you can get affordable access to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Start your wellness, get help, get support you need. Hello, and thank you for joining me here on Hope to Recharge podcast. This is already our second season. We're like way into the hundreds of, we finished a hundred episodes and we're going into the next hundred and we're doing it a little bit different this time where we introduced this in the past, but we're going to um, have specific categories per month. And we're going to bring lots of stories and inspiration. And today I have a story, a woman from London, Sarah Bembasat. I saw, I saw an art, I read an article of she wrote and I was, I read it, I think three times and I sent it to over 20 people <laughs> because I was oh, so inspired by the article. And I reached out to her and I said, I would love to have you on my podcast that so you can inspire my listeners and inspire me. I don't know the full story, but I'm going to go down the road with Sarah now to understand and um, a little bit more details of the story. She's the most beautiful woman and there's so much courage behind her story. Thank and you. I hope that a lot of my listeners will share it with others that need inspiration and courage to not be defined by their disabilities or by their labels and to, and to say that my story is my story and I'm not going to compare myself to others. I'm just going to do the best I can with what I have with my situation and move forward. So Sarah, thank you for joining me here pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Sarah, give my listeners a little bit of a background. Where did you grow up? Okay, so I grew up in London. 
Mm -hmm. I've always lived in London. Uh, we moved, I moved for a while to another city in my first marriage, Manchester, but that's not very far away. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've come back to London and for the foreseeable future, I'm going to be here. Okay. So um, you don't really know America so well. Have you ever been in, no, to America? I've been to Texas once. Oh, okay. Uh, um, that was an experience. Okay. I would love to go to, I would love to come to New York. Okay. So there's always like a dream that we can put in our mind and, uh, and, and hold on to it, right? So it's going to happen, I'm sure. From the more, uh, I have my, two of my best friends are from London and I come there very often. And one of the things that I always notice in London that people are very reserved there, proper, reserved. You have to show up properly. You have to just like a queen. The queen doesn't show her emotions all the time. Most of the time, she's a queen. So I feel like that's the culture there. You have to leave everything inside. You have to um, hold it in and just show the... They're not so smiley there, I should say. I, want, I wanted to say smiley face, but not everybody's so <laughs> smiley there all the time. But but just show up and like, don't show everybody what you're really going through. And your article was a big eye-opening for me for someone that's in the Orthodox world. First of all, you're Orthodox, Jewish Orthodox, which already has more stigma than the rest of the world and from London. I'm like, wow, this is really inner strength to share your story, which we're going to go into. Were you always so open about your story? I think I've had no choice. I think I sometimes do shock people how mm -hmm. open I am. But I've always been very, very open with my story about who I am because I can't hide it. Mm -hmm. It makes up a part of me. It makes up a part of who I am. You know, you mentioned about people being reserved in, in London. It's really England. Mm -hmm. um, things are getting better. You know, I remember 10, 15 years ago, I went to a talk on mental health mm -hmm. and there must have been around 20 people there for a Jewish mm -hmm. Orthodox woman. There must have been mm -hmm. 20 people there. There was one held again a few months ago. There were over 500 women there. No way. Yeah, over 500. Was it Cheskenu? Or not? No, it wasn't. It was it was another organization here. They put it together. They had speakers from all different organizations. And it was really inspirational for me because it showed me that all these women have some kind of connection to mental health, whether they have someone in their family who has a mental health issue or they have or they work within it. People have become so much more open. Um, I'm not saying that we're there yet. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think we're like the USA yet or Israel even. Mm -hmm. But we are getting there. But saying all that, I do sometimes find that people are a bit like, whoa, okay, stop. You too know, much information. Too much information. Yeah. Yeah. There's a discomfort with with hearing something so someone so vulnerable when they're not used to people being so open and vulnerable because they don't even know how to respond. They don't know what to say. They don't know if they should be your friend anymore. They don't know if they want to know. Like, let me not know because it's it's much nicer to know you when you're without labels and just who you are on the outside. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, it's that old story. People are very worried about Shaduchim. They're very worried about what people will say about school places. But I think what my dream would be is that people realize that everyone in a family, an extended family, somebody will have a mental health issue. Right. It's not a matter of of do they it's a matter of how are they with it right um so there's no point keeping it a secret right you know, there's no point being lying about it when it comes to these shidduchim or these schools there's no point i just want to elaborate shidduchim are matchmaking in the orthodox community that you Sorry. that no we're just going to use more english words for people that are not 
um, familiar with the Hebrew world. When kids get to the age of being uh, married off, there's matchmaking and there's a lot of stigma around mental illness, who we should be matched up with if we have mental illness or mental health issues. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, there's, as I say, it is getting better, but there's still a long way to go. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think the more we we deal with it, the more we realize that it's better to speak about it and deal with it. And you come longer in life and further in life in a healthier manner than hiding it. Because hiding it never works out. It just doesn't work out. You get less, you get less help, less support, and then you're you're around the wrong people that um, are not seeing you for who you are, and and they're not accepting you for who you are. So you're always struggling in 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 not being who you are, and that's a very big difficulty, especially with marriage and stuff like that. Like you need to be open on who you are or who your family members are, not be ashamed of it. I agree. And when we get the help, I find that people with mental illness that get help are so much more um, cultivate. Uh, what's the word? Um, adaptive to wor- to the world and struggles that come on with life because they're constantly working on themselves and they're more open-minded and they're more accepting and loving and kind. There's, there's just something that I say it's the gift for the mental health world, the mental illness world, that when we learn to deal with it, we're gifted this extra knowledge and awareness to help others and and to be more enjoy life in a different way and just be in life in a different way that is just the way it is after we get help it's just the way it is yeah i I feel that if a person denies it to themselves or to others they're going to get a lot worse um all the times i've been in hospital there have been many other jewish people there Mm -hmm. religious people non-religious people it doesn't matter but you know, the people in my community who I am aware that they have a mental health issue, when it's been hidden, when it's not been talked about, for myself as well, you know, before I kind of accepted or got diagnosed with my bipolar, I always thought there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a normal person. I'm, I'm oversensitive. I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm crazy. I, you know, all these mm-hmm. negative, negative words. And, you know, we do talk about labels, but sometimes having that diagnosis can really help. And it can really help you accept who you are. And it takes a long time. But yes. once you've accepted it, it's, it's, it's a total, totally different world. I 100% agree. And that's why I was so excited to have you on Hope to Recharge, that you can inspire our listeners. There are a lot of listeners that are not um, prepared yet to um, speak out loud, and that's okay. But I always say, even if you're not sharing your story publicly and it takes a lot of courage and it's okay and not everybody is meant meant for it and a lot of people are private but it's okay as long as you're getting help as long as you're getting support you don't have to tell everybody about what you're going through but you cannot suffer in silence because that's not okay you deserve to live a good life you deserve to get help you deserve to be accepted especially with your close 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 loved ones that are living with you and supporting you not to the nth degree of mental health support but just supporting you and accepting you and that you don't have to like feel that am I right? Am I wrong? Will they understand me or not? Don't live in that silence. Even with a therapist, that's enough. Or a support group or an online um, support group. There's so many, I always say there's so many resources out there. Get somebody that just don't live in that pain of silence 
and and share your story. So I want to go into your story. Growing up, did you always think that you were different as a little child? Um, I always felt different. Um, I think from a very, very young age, I was aware um, that there was something there. Mm-hmm. Um, as I, I mentioned the word oversensitivity before. And I always just put it down to being middle child and mm-hmm. you know, all these things. Because of certain traumas that happened to me when I was a teenager, I've always felt there was something. And mm-hmm. I've always known. And it just kind of spiraled as I got older. What was your first real wake up to say, okay, I need to get help. I need to see what's going on with me. Where did that meet you in life? It's uncomfortable to talk about. It was in my first marriage. It was literally two weeks after I got married. I had what I now know was a psychotic episode uh, and that psychotic episode continued and continued and we just didn't know where to go. You know, I was, I think I mentioned in my article, I was, you know, in the bathroom talking to my grandmother who died 20 years ago. I was, you know, my husband would come home from work and I'd be sitting in the corner rocking backwards and forwards, but we just didn't know where to go for help. Mm. So we just let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the years progressed until my divorce, um, I had episodes. But again, we just did the word mental illness or mental health wasn't or this was 20 years ago. It wasn't common then. It wasn't around. You know, we didn't know where to go. Um, and it was only after my divorce. And I had after that a massive psychotic episode and I was admitted to hospital. Then I kind of got the diagnosis and it went on from there. You didn't have any friends or family that you can discuss and they'll say, listen, what you're going through is you're having a, a bipolar, you might be bipolar or um, have a psychosis episode, like a manic episode, but you're, what this is manic. There was no one that understood it or you lived in secrecy with your husband and no one knew about it. I think it was obvious to certain people in my family for example, that there was something different about me. But I don't think it was so much that we tried to keep it secret. It's just we didn't know what it was. It was scary for us. No, everyone else around me seemed fine. So it it wasn't a matter of friends or family. You know, I I have a very large, very close family. I had friends, but it just wasn't spoken about. It was a secret thing. Once we closed our front door to the world, that's who I became sometimes, you know, and we just didn't know. We just didn't know. It wasn't. It wasn't a conscious decision to keep it a secret. Mm. So, what happened when you had an episode and you're you're rocking back and forth? How long did these things last? Then they only used to last for a few hours. Now, looking back, I can see it was when I was stressed out or when I was feeling fragile. But then, thankfully, it, they only used to last for a few hours. That's why I was able to kind of let them go. Mm-hmm. Um, and continue. Was your husband supportive or did he look at you like, okay, you get, you do your thing and come back to me when you're out of this um, phase? Right. So this is my ex-husband. He Mm -hmm. he tried to be really supportive. He really did try. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, he didn't know. We both came from quite sheltered backgrounds. He just didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. We did speak to a rabbi at the time who was also a, I think he was a psychiatrist or, mm-hmm. or a therapist. And he did at one point suggest going on medication, mm-hmm. but that didn't happen because at the time, the stigma of taking that kind of medication. So how many years are you were you married to your first husband? I was married to him for about six, seven. Do you think part of the mental illness was what drove you apart from each other and, and a need to separate? There was a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was kind of a spiral. I had my mental health issues. He couldn't deal with them. The business we were in was going downhill. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had a baby who unfortunately died after two days. Wow. Um, yeah. And I think it was just, and it was very quickly after that, that my mental health went spiraled, spiraling out of control. 
and that's when we got divorced. And we had a little girl. She was two, two or three at the time. Wait, so the little, so the two, three-year-old was born before the baby passed yes, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's twenty now. Wow, wow! And it you was, had to deal with all this without therapy, without any mental health support. No, it was it was a that's a torture. It was that's, horrific. That's awful torture. How did you get up in the morning? How did you get dressed? How did you look at your other daughter? Like, how did you function? I wasn't functioning. I wasn't. I was, I, the thing that I did was I got up, I got dressed, and then I would spend three hours in the gym. And then I would come home and I would go in the treadmill. And I began acting in very, in ways I shouldn't have been acting. I began doing things which I shouldn't have been doing. Um, I became involved in a very low down world mm -hmm. which I now know was my starting to spark my my illness starting to spiral and that was the only way I could cope because after my baby passed away it kind of I, I hit it at the back of my head and right. I didn't talk about it I just got up and I moved swallowed on. it up and just yeah. said I'm gonna move on <gasps> yeah and the only way that I could deal with it was being super active the whole time um which wasn't healthy I'm trying to process all this. Um, so your daughter was, were you a, do you feel like you showed up for your older daughter? Like, were you able to be a mother for her? No, that is something that even though rationally I know kind of wasn't my fault. Right. Um, it's something I would always hold guilt for because very long, complicated story, but she ended up after I had, when I came back to London after being divorced mm -hmm. and my very severe psychotic episodes, I was mm -hmm. in hospital for pretty much nine months. <sighs> and during that time, she lived with my mother. Then she went to live with my sister-in-law right. uh, for a few years because I wasn't functioning even after I came out of hospital. Mm -hmm. And then she went to live with her father. And because of that, now she's in a great place now, but she does have her difficulties. Is she in touch with you? Yes. As the years have gone on, We've gotten closer and closer and it's been easier and easier. Like now she can manage to come down to see me from where she lives and we speak on the phone and we write and email. It's, it's good now. She understands that you did the best you could under the circumstances. We have spoken about it only for the past couple of years because she wasn't ready for it before. She gets it because she herself has some mental health issues. Mm -hmm. She kind of feels that I get her and she gets me. Right. Wow. Wow. So then you, you get divorced. You, you uh, explain to me why you feel like going to the gym and working out and finding patterns to deal with your emotions was negative. Like I'm looking at it as something like heroic. Wow. She lost the baby. She's, she got divorced instead of sitting in bed and crying and over medicating or finding something to just take as a painkiller. She's actually doing good things for her body to let out the anxiety, the pain. Why do you see it as a negative thing? It would have been more healthy at that time for me to be lying in bed crying and being medicated mm. because crying, you're, you're breathing. What I was mm. doing was I was putting, I was denying. Mm -hmm. I was imagining that. And my whole thought process was about looking good and feeling good about myself and the only way to feel good about myself because I, I blamed myself for the loss of my child at the time and I knew that I wasn't being present for my daughter or my husband and the only way I could feel good about myself was by looking good and I became very 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 thin unhealthily thin and uh you can see I'm making up for it now. And you were obsessed was, with your weight, with your, weight, was, with your looks, with, with looks. your showing up and being okay. And, yeah. and okay. Yeah, it wasn't a healthy thing. 
at all. Why do you blame yourself for the death of your baby? I don't anymore. At that time, I did. Uh, because I felt at that time that I wasn't a good wife. I wasn't a good person. I wasn't a good mother. It was just something else to blame myself. But it was irrational. It's not because you yeah. neglected the baby when you had a not manic episode. Nothing. Not at all. Not at all. It was a healthy pregnancy until the baby was born. I caught an infection, which then went over to the baby. Mm. So I think part of it was that, again, this infection is called listeria. You know, if a person has listeria who is not pregnant, it feels like you have the flu. Mm -hmm. But when a person is pregnant, it goes over to the baby and it causes the baby to be born. So at that time, it was a lot of self-blame. Awful, awful feeling. How did you get rid of that blame? That's like huge. I think that's like a huge healing moment in somebody's life. It took years. It took years and years and years after my stay in hospital with therapy. Mm -hmm. I have to say therapy for me has saved my life. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't be without it. And, mm -hmm. you know, I know in, in America, therapy is, is a big thing. Everyone has therapy. Yeah. But here, it's still a bit... Stigma. You know, There's still, still a stigma. stigma. Yeah. When I stopped blaming myself was when I was able to go after eight years. It took me eight years to find out where my baby was buried. Because in, Jewish law, because in Jewish law, they don't... If a baby's under a certain age at that time, you weren't told where the baby was buried. Um, so it took me eight years of searching to find where he was born. No one would tell you? No you asked and they wouldn't tell you? I, for eight years, eight years. That's awful. That's like yeah. awful. I, I think the whole way that my baby's death was handled um, with the Hevra, Katisha, when they came, when they took a baby, that contributed massively to my mental health issues. Uh, when I found out where the baby was buried, and I went... How did you find out? Eventually, after many, many, many years of searching, I spoke to one person who said to me, listen, the guy who buried the baby is not alive anymore, but I will do my best. And he came back to me and he said to me, this is where your baby's buried. Oh. It was so simple. After eight years, I just got it. Was um, it in, like in your local community somewhere? It was where I lived when I was married. So I traveled up there. I went to the hospital where he was born because a lot of it was kind of repressed. I didn't remember right. a lot of it. Right, right. I was given I was given his note. I, I saw the um, intensive care where he was. And I remember... Is it hard for you? If, you're, if it's hard for you fine. to talk about, we don't have to talk about it. We really don't have to. If it's, it's fine. It's fine. So I just had to take a deep breath. I remember yeah. I sat in their garden of remembrance there and I really cried for mm -hmm. the first time. And then I just felt, you know, you never get over it. You right. know, time right. is a great healer. The grief is always there somewhere. Right, right. But it was closure. Sitting yeah. there, it was closure. Did you ask for forgiveness? I didn't. I didn't feel... I felt blessed. I felt blessed mm. that I carried him at that mm. point. It took me, as I say, eight years. But at that time, because then I didn't blame myself anymore. I didn't right. need to ask him forgiveness. I just... Right. You just thankful. had to like say goodbye I, in a in I had a to say goodbye. Yeah. And I was grateful that I got to carry this my angel baby for, you know, eight months. Wow, what a powerful story of healing. That to me that's incredible. When was your big psychosis episode? after the birth how much afterwards did it happen that you um, went into the hospital for nine months right so it took a long time because after the birth we carried on i was still married um mm. until one day i got it into my head that i didn't want to be married anymore and my divorce happened very quickly mm -hmm. and it was a few months after i came home to my parents house in london with my little girl 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was training for a cycling event and mm-hmm. I was cycling past a cemetery. Mm-hmm. And just like that, my brain went and I went into a massive psychotic episode. Mm. Um, and then that got worse and worse and worse until I was hospitalized. So your parents sent you to the hospital? So my mother knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And we were very lucky to have a child psychiatrist, a religious woman living next door to us. Mm-hmm. And my mother invited her on a Friday night to visit with her, mm-hmm. but to kind of see what was going on with me. And she could see straight away. So after Shabbat... Um, she basically told me, listen, you're going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. You can either come willingly or you can go in the ambulance. Mm-hmm. And I remember so clearly I took my little girl mm-hmm. and I took her to my sister-in-law and I said, do me a favor, look after her for, mm-hmm. for me for a bit. And she did. And she did How old was she? She was three. Wow. And in my sister-in-law's mind, it was like, I'm going out for an hour. I'll be back. Right. And she ended up living with my sister-in-law for three years. Wow. Yeah, or four years. Talk about gratitude to your sister-in-law. 100%. Wow. 100%. Wow. Was your mother supportive when you went to the hospital? Very. It was very, very hard for her. Um, Mm -hmm. It was extremely hard. You know, my father became unwell during that time. He had a brain hemorrhage and he was in a a wheelchair. Um, And again, it was uncharted territory for everyone in my family. Right. You know, but my mother really tried her best. Uh, As I say, it was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was also a lot of because, as we were saying before, we live in that kind of community where it's not spoken about. Mm-hmm. And I think she struggled with that, but mm-hmm. she was amazing and she's always been amazing and she will continue to be amazing. Amazing. I love that you're saying that. It gives me so much joy in my heart to hear that. What, when you went in, were you able to see your parents? Were you able to have visitors or until you were released, you're not allowed to have visitors? You can have visitors, uh, but people did find it hard to visit me because I wasn't myself. I was talking, you know, I was high. Um, it was like I was constantly drunk. That's what it came across as. And I was having delusions. And also because I was in hospital for a long time, I slowly but surely left religion as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so my family are very religious and mm-hmm. I became completely at that time when I was in hospital and after I became completely irreligious. So, it's hard to keep on top of like it's I feel like it shouldn't even be a priority at all. Like if you want to be connected to God, okay, but but it's it's like what's the word pikuach nefesh? Um like really um you have to save your life and whatever it is and to deal with uh, with what you were going through. You needed your whole being to just focus on your healing. Yeah. No external to-do list or non-to-do list. You're 100% right. But I have to say, when I was in the hospital, it's kind of a birds of a feather kind of thing, you know, flock together, that I did, the Jewish people in the hospital did tend to kind of flock together. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter whether someone was religious or not. Just like mm-hmm. Friday night, we would sing all the Shabbat songs. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have special foods. You know, there was mm-hmm. a guy there who was uh, Lubavitch. Mm-hmm. And he would sing and dance and we would mm-hmm. clap. And it was it was like how a... Heartwarming, like uh, medicine. It, it was like how, yeah, it was like yeah. how a therapy. It was like how yeah. a medicine. It was fantastic. And just having those Jewish people there kept me connected to some extent. Mm-hmm. But for my family, when I, for example, started wearing what you call pants, what we call trousers, right, right, um, and you know, when I took off my hair covering, mm-hmm. etc., it was understandably very, very hard to them. They right. didn't, they didn't know how to relate to me, and I didn't know how to relate to them. So painful, 
so painful. Another loss, like you lose yourself, you lose your community, you lose who you, your identity, and then you so, suddenly start feeling value just by your exterior. That is so like another layer of pain. Wow. Yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a happy place to be in. You wow. know, it really wasn't. Did they medicate you a lot? Yeah. As far as I remember, I don't remember which medication I was on. It was a long mm -hmm. time ago, mm -hmm. but I was, I was very highly medicated. Did you ever think you'll come out and be okay? Did you have hope when you were there? Did you, did you ever see yourself where you are now? You know, it, it's funny you ask that because I was just saying to someone the other day, I never dreamt because it's my 12th anniversary, wedding anniversary tomorrow. And I was saying to my husband, I never dreamt when I Your second marriage. Yeah, my second marriage. Okay, but we didn't get to that part of the story yet. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, I never imagined getting remarried was never in, in my psyche. It was never something I even thought about because I just didn't, when I was in hospital, I couldn't see myself ever not being that person. I couldn't see mm -hmm. myself ever living in the real world, mm -hmm. ever coming out, ever having a life, ever being a mother again to my daughter ever having a steady job i just it was just each day you just took each day you don't even think about the future right because you can't because right. you just don't see a future right how old were you then um around 28 very young very 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 young i think and did you have any suicidal moments that you said okay just penny is so strong i just want to end my life but you stayed for your daughter no i didn't in future episodes i did mm -hmm. and i do but mm -hmm. because I was high then, it mm -hmm. wasn't about suicide at all. You were high from medication or high no, from psychosis? From psychosis? Yeah, for high from psychosis. How long does that last? Doesn't it end like after a few days or even a, uh, like even a week? But doesn't it end? You it, can stay in a state of psychosis for so long? So with a nine month, I got, it takes a long time to get better. You can come down slowly mm -hmm. and you start seeing things that you're saying and hearing yourself. And you start recognizing your thoughts after a while and you're thinking to yourself, this isn't right. You know, mm -hmm. I shouldn't be saying this. And that's when you know you're getting better. But getting better can take anything from an hour to nine months mm -hmm. uh, and you have ups and downs. So I would say now my average episodes are probably from an hour to maximum uh, be in and out of hospital within a week. And you see them coming, you can recognize them now and I you're like, oh no, okay, fine. I need, I need, I need help now. Like, let's stop it before it happens and right. escalates that. But let me get to a safe place where they can control what, what happens to me and I can um, come back to the safe state as fast as possible. Right. You've got that a hundred percent right. Right now I'm at a stage where I can see my episodes coming. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll come out of the blue, but usually my thought process speeds up and I have a very strong support system now, mm -hmm. which I didn't have then because mm -hmm. as I say, people just didn't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. And I have a couple of people, a couple of friends and my therapist and my husband who know when I start texting them or WhatsApping them strange things, that means that I'm starting to have an episode. Mm -hmm. And I know myself, I need to get to a safe place. I need to go home. I need to sleep. I need to take extra medication, whatever. Mm -hmm. it wow. Did they diagnose you with bipolar? Yeah. Right Definitely. away. Was yeah. it right away? Pretty much right away. Yeah. Did you read up about it afterwards to make sure that that's really what it was, that you can treat it properly just to know what to expect? Um, during my first episode, I didn't, because as I say, I was very ill for a long time. Right. But over the years, I've read and I've read more and I've read more and I've read right. more. Right. And, and, 
and you you feel that it is definitely bipolar. It's definitely bipolar. I, I, it's it's a very typical. My symptoms are very typical bipolar. And does bipolar happen from trauma usually? Yeah. Like, could it be that it 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 you were symptomatic, but it you, the psychosis, the extreme psychosis, comes from a major trauma like the death of your child? Right. So. They say that a person can have bipolar tendencies, which mm-hmm. can lay dormant for your whole life and you won't even know about it. But mm-hmm. a trauma can trigger those tendencies mm-hmm. and then the psychosis can start. Wow. There's so many parts to the story that I'm like, Sorry. Uh, no, that it's like, it's just, you know what, looking at you and seeing how stable you are and how smiley you are and radiant and pretty and put together, it gives such hope, like such hope hope that no matter where you are, you can always try, at least try to move the needle a little bit. And for you, it took nine months. I I don't even know. I want to go to the next part of the story. What happened when you came out after nine months? Did you see your daughter? I'm I'm, I'm obsessing about the daughter a little bit, as you see, as a parent. Like, I want to know, like, what happened with the daughter? She's so young. Did she recognize you? Was she upset? Did she want to come to you? Or like, what happened? Oh, Again, it's it's a lot of the memories in my mind are kind of muddled. Yes. Uh, because I wasn't in a healthy state of being. Right. Um, so when I came out, a woman from a Jewish organization, she helped me find a flat. It wasn't in a Jewish neighborhood. It wasn't mm-hmm. anywhere near Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was good for me at the time. Yes. Um, and I had certain times I would visit her. Mm-hmm. But those when I went to visit her, she did recognize me. But there were times that I did completely inappropriate things. Like I would turn up there at my sister-in-law's house at 10.30 at night, wanting to see the shamar with her to put her to bed, you know, when obviously, you know, she was three, four years old, she'd been in bed for hours. Right. So the visits with her were highly strained. I remember her sitting in my lap and just rocking backwards and forwards, you know, like like a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to be with her, which really horrific for me. Awful. You know, because I, I knew then I was losing her. And there was nothing I could do. As I recovered, you know, my visits became more regular, but there was always a strain. There was always this this little girl. She didn't understand why, what had happened. Where did you know, mommy disappear? Where did mommy, did mommy disappear? disappear? Right. Why, did, why did mommy come back different? Yeah. Why did daddy disappear? Why am I with this family? She just didn't understand. And it was it was it was horrible for her. You know, I really did try my best. And throughout the years, I've really had to kind of try and forgive myself for Mm -hmm. what I put my daughter through at the time. And I really hope the day will come where I can say with 100% conviction, I did my best I could at that time. I'm getting there. Mm -hmm. And as she grows older and we're able to talk about it more, that sense of relief and it's okay now. Mm-hmm. It's getting stronger. You definitely did the best you could. There's not more that you could do. At that you gave time. her to a good family that she'll be safe and healthy and well. So what what else could you do? You didn't know better. You couldn't. You didn't have more tools to deal with. Yeah, I, I you know, I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money. I, I had nothing. I had right. nothing. You know, the the government was paying. I was getting benefits for the flat that I was in. Mm-hmm. I had nothing. I was penniless. I didn't have a bank account. I, I literally had to beg for money literally and it was a time i'm deeply ashamed of 
Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I know I was ill. Recovery can take years. And right. and there was a lot of things I did at that time that I'm, I'm, I'm deeply ashamed of. But again, now I'm in a, at a point where I can say I did my best. It wasn't me. It wasn't kind of, like I said before, my fault. Right. Right. Absolutely. Did your parents support you when you came out of the hospital or you were kind of on your own trying to find your way back into the world? So. As I said before, my father was very unwell. Mm-hmm. And my mother, you know, she was full-time nurse to him. My family tried, mm-hmm. you know, but they felt very uncomfortable. And I get it. They felt uncomfortable walking down the street with me with my hair uncovered and in, in the trousers, which I get. Right. And, you know, and they didn't, and like, they all have children and their right. children would ask questions if they saw me. Right. My mother has always been very physically supportive. She's mm-hmm. always, always tried to be there for us, whatever the situation Mm-hmm. But it was also me. I didn't have any contact with my family. I didn't feel that I could pick up the phone or go to a family wedding or a bar mitzvah or whatever right. it was. Right. Um, I had no contact with my community. I had no friends. I had no friends. No. Friends. I had. I had a man in my life, but it wasn't a healthy relationship, and mm-hmm. it was. It was. It was. It wasn't good. So what did you do? So how do you get back to yourself from 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 no one? You're you're going to the hospital. You get severe medication and and therapy. You're coming out a completely different person into a world that is not really accepting you and you have to rebuild yourself when you're so weak. You're so weak. You're hardly knowing yourself. How did you do that? What was right. your first step you took? Okay, so my first step was getting a job mm-hmm. and that job didn't last long at all. Mm-hmm. And then I wasn't able to hold down a job for And, you know, getting another job and another job. Um, I think my turning point was actually when a bad thing happened. I came home one day and the landlord had locked me out mm-hmm. and I didn't know anything then. I didn't have anyone to call. I didn't know who to call. And he let me get a few of my belongings and I didn't have very many belongings. And this guy that I was with at the time, he found me a new flat. Mm-hmm. And that flat was near a store, near a shop mm-hmm. where I got a job mm-hmm. and I started to meet people through that job. Mm-hmm. And I slowly became part of the community a little bit more. My closest friend to this time is a girl that I met in the hospital, a Jewish girl. And she started taking me to Friday night meals. And it was that one of those Friday night meals I met a lovely guy who I dated for a while. Mm-hmm. And he took me to more Friday night meals. And eventually mm-hmm. at one of those Friday night meals, I met my husband. Oh so, my goodness. So you kind of feel like the Jewish community s- saved you. As much as they rejected you, they saved you, they nurtured you back. But, but, and I'm going to put in a big but, if not for that per- that friend that knew you from the hospital, that understood what you were going to and didn't judge you, and accepted you the way you are. If not for her, you would not be able to make it back in. Yeah, you're, you're so perceptive. It's brilliant how you can just sum it all up. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's exactly correct. I didn't feel part of the community I'd grown up in at all. Right. And, you know, I don't hold any blame. I don't hold any anger towards right. them because they that's the way. They, but that's the way they are. They, they know. The they don't they know. Be- they don't have the better tools and it's okay. And also, I didn't like reach out to them really because right. I felt I couldn't. Right. So, you know, it was a little bit both ways. But right. the community still has a long way to go. But yeah, that community that welcomed me and they happened to be the barbit, that community that welcomed me, I went to those Friday night meals and no questions were asked about who I am, who my parents are, what school I went to. Right. Right. You know, what they didn't have to put in. you in a cubicle. They just accepted the person in front of them. They didn't need to know the history or anything. Yeah, yeah, beautiful, exactly. And I just, I just began to find myself and find out who I was and what I wanted mm-hmm. in a way that I've never been able to do before. 
beautiful. And it was so refreshing. And it was like, it was like being reborn. It was like being, yeah, it was like being reborn. Beautiful. And if not for your whole episode of bipolar getting divorced, you could have been stuck in a, in a place that you didn't recognize yourself or living in misery and not live the happy life that you live now with joy and connection to yourself, to God, to the community that you wanted. If not for that break of, of your soul, of your mental health, of everything you knew shattered, you would not be able to rebuild yourself to say, where do I belong? What do I want to be? Who am I? Yeah. You know, I can look back so clearly and I can see if I hadn't had the baby, if I hadn't had my 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 manic episodes, used to go mm. breakdown, if I hadn't had my episode, if I hadn't gone to hospital, I wouldn't have met my my friend. If I hadn't met my friend, I wouldn't have gone and I wouldn't be where I can see it so clearly Beautiful. how everything has a purpose. Wow. When did you come back to religion? My husband, when I met my husband, I was starting to come back to religion. Uh, so I met him 13 years ago. By then, I was already trying to keep the shop up properly and, you know, trying to do things. And I had more contact with my family by then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was respectful, you know, of their lifestyle. And as the years have gone by and, you know, when we got married and I, you know, I, I covered my hair again. And I think it was, it was, it was really a couple of years before I met my husband. But it's something that you wanted. You wanted to be that person. You know what? I've been on both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that while sometimes a religious community gets a bad rap and mm-hmm. there are major problems, major problems, mm-hmm. there's also goods with a religion. Lot. And I, I, I love being religious now. Not right. to say I don't find it difficult. There are some mm-hmm. things I find extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that get me really annoyed. Right, <laughs> um, right. But I love it. Right. And the community and the support is is really something very special, really special. I know that the community really saved my life. Um, and I don't know if I would say that if they weren't religious, they wouldn't. I don't know because I just don't know. I know from my experience that the community saved my life because um, I was open about it and I was looking for people that are also open about it. And I live in New York and, 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 it, and people were talking about it more. It's a little bit different, but there is something special about a community. And, and I hear why it would be something attractive to come back to. Where was your daughter at that time? Did she come live back with you? Right. So again, you know, God has his plans. It was exactly at the time that I went on my first date with my husband. I think it was the same day. I remember it so clearly. My sister in law took me out for coffee and she said to me, just so you know, your daughter's going to go and live with her dad. And I think if I hadn't been on my first date with my husband, that with my now husband that mm-hmm. night, I wouldn't have been able to cope with it alone. And it was really difficult. It was really, really hard. He was recently remarried and him and his wife, you know, they, I mean, you know, kudos, they, they, my daughter went to live with them and she was very, very, she had a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she didn't know what had happened. She didn't understand it. She was sure that they were going to kind of throw her out mm-hmm. after a few years. So she tested them and tested them and it wasn't easy for them. Mm-hmm. And it was very hard for me as well. Over the years, I've kind of been told and I know I had to always do what was best for her. Amazing. You know, I've had to, I've had to do what was best for her because I had no choice. Wow. Your husband that you're married to now, he he knew the whole way along what you went through and what you're all about and the package that comes with you. And he said, I accept you the way you are. Right. So I knew from the beginning, whenever I dated someone, I needed to tell them Mm -hmm. because it's such a big part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And there were a few guys who ran Mm -hmm. their loss. Mm -hmm. Um, And with my husband, 
it was a journey of telling him and he because he'd had his own journey not with mental health at all mm -hmm. but with judaism mm -hmm. and he came back to judaism himself and mm -hmm. he had his own struggles he was very accepting and i said to him a few times please phone my therapist with any concerns you might have mm -hmm. i gave her permission to talk to him and he didn't want to and he just accepted it and he just you know and he did see me when we were dating having an episode once and it was okay was he comforting when it happened he didn't he didn't know what it was so mm -hmm. he just kind of he was a man and he just kind of went along with it mm -hmm. and he was just right. like okay right that's it you know um and that's how it's been ever since then he's just whenever i've had an episode he'll just step up and he'll just do he doesn't get emotional about it he's just like okay this is what we need to do now now and he gets it done right the protocol he goes through the protocol get it done yeah and and that's okay yeah do you need more support do you feel like you need more empathy and support Okay, I would say maybe that's not his strongest point, bless him. <laughs> it's hard to understand. If right. somebody didn't get go through it, it's so hard to understand what yeah. you are experiencing and what you need. I, I, like, I, I, I cut you off, but you, I know you're hesitating to say something that might look like negative about your husband, but it's not negative. It's not about a strong point or a weak point. I always say our closest people don't really come with a manual of, okay, this is how we support somebody that's mentally ill and how to actually do it. Until you experience it, it's really, really hard to know how to show up in their life. It's really hard. And I always say like the right thing is to say, what do you want? What is it that I could do to help you? Like ask them because yeah. we don't have the, the, when I say we, the, and the people that are supporting, we don't have the answers. Yeah. And it's, it can be really tough for him. You know, when I'm high and I'm talking nonsense and, you know, we have a beautiful little girl who's 10 years old mm -hmm. and, you know, and, when he has to look after her because I'm not able to, he is incredibly supportive, mm. incredibly. But mm. I think the empathy mm -hmm. I get more from my therapist and my friends mm -hmm. because he is so busy trying to manage what is going on practically. Yes. And it's yes. really tough for him. It's really hard for yes. him sometimes because living with someone, being a family member, being the spouse of someone who has a mental health issue, it's not an easy thing. And he also needs support. I know that as people that struggle with mental illness, we want much more, but it's so important to know that the people that love us, it's not that they don't love us if they don't give us the right support. It's they need to wear so many caps at the same time, the father, the husband, the practical and the, the, the supporter financially. There's so much that they have to do in order to exist, we have to understand that they can't do it all. And that's why it's so important to have a therapist, a support group, a best friend, somebody that can hold us up with our empathy and sympathy when sometimes our the closest and nearest people to us can't give it to us. And as painful as it is, it has to be okay. Yeah, it has to be okay. And you know, when he's sitting at work and everything was completely fine in the morning and he suddenly gets a phone call from my therapist saying, you know, I'm with Sarah, she's about to have an episode. Mm -hmm. got to come home and he's just got to leg it for he's going to leave work mm -hmm. and you know but now also i have support from my family i'm not worried or concerned to tell my mother and my siblings i'm in hospital or i'm not well or i'm having an mm -hmm. episode so mm -hmm. now there is so much more support out there mm -hmm. how often do you have an episode now usually around every six months but thankfully now they're mainly controlled 
Um, in December, I was in hospital for a week, mm-hmm. uh, but usually my episodes now only last for a few hours. Wow. And you don't even have to go to the hospital. Uh, in the last few years, I've been to hospital twice. And when my 10-year-old was born, I had quite a severe episode and I think I was in hospital for a couple of weeks. But over the last few years, it's only been twice or three times for a few days. Wow. Were you not afraid to get pregnant again? There's so much trauma behind pregnancy for you, especially bipolar. You have to be so stable in order to um, get pregnant and not have postpartum. You were not afraid of that? Right. So, I mean, my pregnancy, obviously, we've only had one child. I was concerned. You know, my husband, he didn't have any children. So, you know, our daughter is is his only child. And, And she was really wanted you know, she mm-hmm. was re- and we did think about it and we did speak about it and that now my bipolar is so under control. If it needed that, you know, I did have postpartum psychosis after her mm-hmm. and I was in a mother and baby unit with her for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But that's why I couldn't have another child. I couldn't, you know, it was it was easier for him in a way when I was with her in the unit. Mm-hmm. If now, you know, we would have another child and I would become ill again, it would be a lot, lot harder. And we never know how to how we recover afterwards. What's going to be the long term impact? And we have to be there for the children that we do bring to the world. It's always such a big debate in ourselves. Like, do we try the unknown or do we just say, okay, we have to stick with what we have and be the best we can with what we have? And it's a, one of the biggest challenges I think in mental illness is the un the unknown. And we live in such an unknown constantly. And sometimes we have to give up on a lot that people take for granted. Oh, we'll get pregnant. Again, I remember before I got pregnant with my fourth one, my my psychologist, my psychiatrist, my therapist, and my OBGYN had to speak. Am I healer? Is she ready to get off medication? Should she get off medication? Should she get pregnant? Will she have postpartum? Is and I needed to be okay with it. My husband needed to be okay with it. There was a lot of conversation, and which people that don't have mental illness just decide, oh, we want to have another baby. Yes or no? Let's get pregnant. And for us, it's just, there's so much history before. And then after and during and the fears and it, it, it really takes a toll on so many avenues that people without mental illness don't have to approach. And, and I admire the fact that you were willing to try it out for, for the sake for your husband to have a child. And I also respect the fact that you said, okay, one is enough for now. I need to focus on on what we have in myself and our marriage and, and being the healthy Sarah I could be. isn't easy, you know, knowing that I'll never have another child, knowing, I mean, my daughter, she's very happy, thank God, mm-hmm. and she's very confident and she's also very sociable. So for her, for her to be an only child is really difficult, especially yeah. now when she's not seeing any of her friends and right. she's just kind of got us to play with and, right. you know, Zoom right. videos with her friends. So it can be very difficult having an it only is. child. But on the other hand, for example, when she was born, I had to take extra medication because I had my postpartum psychosis mm-hmm. and I never got up for her in the night because I was so because of the medication I was sleep so heavily right I wouldn't even hear her wow. so you know my husband is 10 years older than me mm-hmm. and so he had to he got up with her for her every single night from mm-hmm. when she was a baby until she eventually slept through the night which which was a long time mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to look at every aspect. You know, he wouldn't be able to do that again. Absolutely. And to function in, in life, to be able to go to work, to think clearly. Yes, I, I agree 100%. And there's so many aspects that have to be taken into account. And I, it's funny, because it's, if I shouldn't say funny, it's interesting because every um, person that deals with bipolar, I find that this is one of their big avenues that they come across. 
Should we have more children? Can I have more children? Will I have more children? And there's such an inner debate constantly. But I think once they come to peace with it, there's there's a easier way with just living the now and acceptance. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think once you accept it, I'm, I'm not saying you always have that feeling, you know, I would love to give love. I would love to hold another baby. I would mm -hmm. love to have another baby. But once you accept that it, it's not going to happen, you're okay with it. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and again, living in a community where most people do have more than one child. It's so hard. It also, it oh is God, hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. That's what I was going to say. It's not only that she doesn't have the social friends, it's the one that the child that has only the, the family that has only one child. And um, sometimes there's stigma about that in our communities. And it's really hard. It's really, really hard. And the child saying, I want brothers and sisters like they do. I want to have a full house. Yes. It's that like that famous Mimi and Simi story. Yeah. You know that story, that yeah, book, Mimi and Simi? Yeah, yeah. So one had like a lot of kids and one was an only yeah. child. And it was always, uh, the grass was always greener on the other side, but it's the acceptance and the knowing that it is what it is. And we have to make the best out of what it what we have now. Yeah. And um, what an inspiring story. How do you feel nowadays? Are you okay? I'm good. I have with my Corona, baby. I'm saying with Corona. Is, uh, with corona. is, it, is it triggering something for you? Do you know what? It was really tough at the beginning, like I'm sure it was for you and for everyone else. But once I stopped beating myself up that I've got to be this amazing mother and I've got to do these incredible activities every day and I've got to post them on Instagram and Facebook and tell the world how amazing I am, I'm good. So you know what? If she's in front of the TV for too long, that's fine. You know? If she only does one hour work, that's fine. And also for myself, mm -hmm. it can really, you know, a lot of people have bipolar have health anxieties as well. Mm -hmm. And I have major health anxieties. Mm -hmm. So I've just stopped reading the news. I only belong to one WhatsApp group. And that is a guy who's a therapist. And he gives like a two minute clip on looking after our own anxieties. Mm -hmm. So I think it can be a real trigger. Yeah. Uh, being locked up and just being indoors. But just to be able to look inside and say, I'm okay. We're doing mm -hmm. the best. You know, we're mm -hmm. doing our best. It's all good. Yeah. Yes, we'll drive each other crazy sometimes. Yes, we'll yell at each other yes. sometimes. But it's okay. We'll move on. It hasn't been bad. I'm so happy to hear that. Do you work now? I'm on furlough at the moment, but I, I am working, yes. I work for a mental health charity. You do? Yes, I do. Which one? I love it. It's called Jamie. It's a Jewish mental health charity. Is it only in uh, the UK? It is. It's 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 not a huge organization. Um, I, 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 I'm not like a social worker. I work at reception, but mm -hmm. I love it because I'm greeting all the clients. I'm picking up the phone. I'm, you know, hearing people's stories. Um, I, I love my job. Phenomenal. What do they do? They give services? Right. So we have a hub. We have three centers. Each center has a hub, which every day opens and there's a coach alarm and there's different discussion groups, art therapy, drama, writing. They go on outings. We also have social workers, we have occupational therapists, we have benefit advisors, we have people help people get back into work. Yeah. Why do you say it's not big? It sounds huge. <laughs> it's comparatively small. It sounds huge. Just think it's about right. how many humans they're impacting for the positive. Yeah, in that way, it's huge, yeah. 
Amazing, yeah. amazing. Next time I'm in the UK, I'm going to come see it. As I you mentioned, come I, come, I'll take you. I come off and I would love to see this. I, I just like Thank this you. is what a what a beautiful story Thank of you. courage, of hope, of moving forward, of trying, not giving up. I'm in awe. I'm really in awe. And I'm so grateful that you shared your story. What, I have two more questions before we go. Yeah. One, what would be um, something that you would want to change in the world for the mental health to help others? If you had any any magic wand, what do you think is the most important thing that you want to change in order to um, break the stigma and bring more support? Or maybe it's something else. What would be that thing for the mental illness health world? I think it would be acceptance just for everyone and not only in mental health, just to accept. And I've really have struggled with this and I've really learned it the hard way just to accept that you are you with your beautiful middle and your beautiful mind, your difficulties. And I, me, with my difficulties and we're all here for a reason and just to accept it doesn't matter what house you live in or what school you go to or what car you drive, just to accept people for who they are without mm. judging that's so hard <laughs> that's so hard. i can't, I, I can't yeah. do it but yes it. but it's definitely something to aspire to and to try to work on especially now i see with corona like we, everybody realizes suddenly that everybody's human even the biggest of the biggest are, are human and everybody's struggling now with anxiety and with fears and the unknown and loss and grief and pain pains that like unbelievable right everybody yeah. and now there's more like okay we really don't know. We're so we're so vulnerable and we just need to be accepted by everyone. And there's no room for hate and judgment. And it's unnecessary. It doesn't help. It really doesn't help. I believe in boundaries and I believe that boundaries can be healthy, but it doesn't have to be with judgment. It has it could be just for a health reason. For me, this is not okay. And I'm putting boundaries without judgment. So yeah. I love that. I love that that's what you would love to change in the world. What does hope mean to you? Hope for me no means knowing that however bad it looks however sad you are however difficult it is however alone you feel knowing that there is a light that it will get better that just to have the the hope and the, and the knowledge that there is someone out there who cares and there's a god out there who cares and you will be better and there is hope for the future. Beautiful. Does that make any sense? Yes. That no matter how dark it is now there's always light. Thank you. Sarah, thank you very much. If thank people want to um, follow you or get in touch with you, are, where do you hang out? Where do I hang out? Uh, <laughs> on social media. No, I'm saying you hang out like on Instagram, on Facebook. Face, on Facebook. I'm not really on Instagram so much. Um, okay. I'm on Facebook, uh, Sarah Benbasat, S-A-R-A. Okay. And I have a blog. It's called The Musings of Sarah. We'll put the link in the show notes. So nice speaking to you. And thank you for showing, sharing your story. Thank you for inspiring others to reach out for help, share their story, hold on to hope. There's always another page. There's a, the story is told in many, many pages. And like we can turn a page if there's a page of sadness or hurt or pain. And there's and we're living a, in a age now that there's so much resources and help out there. Don't live in sadness. Don't live in pain and, and get the resources that are available to you and then work in your advantage. So thank you, Sarah. And thank you so thank much. You. And it was such an honor and pleasure to meet you and hear your story. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Thank okay. You. Be well. Well, take Thank care. You. Take care. 
Thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please leave feedback and ratings below. Let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.